Well, good morning, GVF. Um, greetings from my home office here. This is not how I was hoping to address you this morning. We were hoping to kick off the Daniel series uh, this Sunday, but the latest COVID variant, Omicron, has been sweeping through our congregation and through our staff. And at this point, the majority of our staff and many of our key volunteers are now either COVID positive or quarantining because of close contacts. And this, coupled with the fact that they're forecasting ice on Sunday morning, we thought it would be best to hold off on our in-person services, uh, push back the launch of the Daniel series till next week. And today, though, I didn't want to give up this opportunity to talk to you, and I thought it'd be a good time to reflect on a phrase that has been percolating in my mind and heart over the last, really, couple years. It's come up again and again. It's, uh, it's the phrase from... From Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it's redeem the time. So um, when I first started ministry, I read a book by the leadership guru, Peter Drucker. It's called The Effective Executive. And Drucker in that says something that has always stuck with me. He asked the question, what is your most valuable resource? And then he, he starts going through and he says, um, well, it's not education because you can always go on and get education, you can add that. It's not facilities, you can get more of those. It's not ideas or patents or plans, because you can develop more of those, come up with more of those. It's not money. He says money's important, but you can always make more of that. And then a bit starkly, Drucker goes on to say, it's not people. People think that they're irreplaceable, he says. But the fact is, is that new people are being made all the time. And then he concludes, your most valuable resource is time. It's your only truly limited resource. You can find ways to get more money, more ideas, more people, but time is what it is. You only have 24 hours in the day. Tick, tick, tick. The clock just disappears every single day for all of us. So that phrase, time is your most valuable resource, like I feel that. And I would guess that most of you do too. Like if you're a professional, you know the cost of wasted time. If you're a young parent, you know how precious it is to just get five minutes to yourself. If you're single, you know how long an evening at home alone can be. If you're in your second half of life, then you appreciate just how short life is. Time is your most valuable resource, at least according to Peter Drucker. So I've sat with this for years now, and I've um, this phrase, this thought, has very much shaped my life in many ways. And while I don't at this point deny Peter Drucker's premise, I'm not quite sure that that phrase, your time is your most valuable resource, I'm not quite sure that it means what I once thought it means. So Drucker and most of the Western world following him and following people like him seem to think that um, that phrase means that we should then maximize every second of our time. We should cram our time, our schedules with as much as possible. This is popularized in the phrase um, in the phrases like YOLO, you only live once, and FOMO, fear of missing out. So just last month, I was listening to this CEO, Christ follower, major guy, many of you would have heard of him. And he was talking about how 
he tries to effectively use every second of his day. In fact, he's hired an executive coach to help him plan out the use of his time. And he said his executive coach went second by second through the day down to how long it takes him to go to the bathroom and back. And I remember thinking, is that what success looks like? Is like that the good life? Is that the vision of who we should be, that we are so consumed with using every second of our life that we have to time how long it takes us to go to the bathroom and back? Is that what it looks like for us to follow Jesus? So uh, I've tried that, not timing going to the bathroom, but timing my life, trying to pack my life full. And many of you have tried that too. And I've lived enough of this like hurried, overfilled life for years that at this point, I can say with some confidence, that is not the way. Like, that doesn't lead to peace, joy, gratitude, delight, empathy, grace, love. It doesn't make me more like Jesus. It doesn't lead us to the life we really want. At this point, I'm, I'm not quite sure that I yet have come to the, like, the final answer of what does it mean to redeem the time, to make the most of the time of your life, to use this most valuable resource. But I would say at this point in my journey, I, I've learned to ask better questions. And that's what I want to do this morning. I just want to lead you in asking a few more questions as we explore this question, like what does it look like to make the most of this most valuable resource in your life? So our text for today is really, it's going to be a few verses, but I'm going to be focusing on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. If you want to join me, look there. So Ephesians is a letter that was written, first century letter written by the Apostle Paul to Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, um, modern day Turkey. The first half of the letter, the first three chapters, is all about the gospel. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, that even, even the faith to believe in Jesus is a gift. So all of the first three chapters are really focused on Jesus, what he has done for you, what God has done for you through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. All the blessings of the gospel that really are just a gift to you, a free gift, not about you. But then the second half of the letter, chapters four through six, are really all about us about our response to what God has done for us. So chapter 4, verse 1, splits the book of Ephesians like this. It says, Therefore, looking back in light of all that Jesus has already done in view of his goodness, in light of his love for us, in light of his grace, in light of the great mission that he's called us to, in light of all that he's done for us, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Like, I urge you to live your life in response to the gospel, in, in response to this identity, this gift, this, this uh, salvation that you could not earn. And then the Apostle Paul, um, he then goes through point by point what he believes, how it should change our lives, how it should change how I relate to you, how I relate to how I view my talents, how I deal with anger, how I speak, who I sleep with, how I relate to my kids and my spouse and my co-workers and the government. And then in chapter 5, verse 15, he relates how our lives, in view of what God has done already for us, what it looks like to use our time. So chapter 5, verse 15 reads like this. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So this whole, this section, this is a warning. Watch out, like don't be foolish. Look at how you're living and think about it. Why? Verse 16. Or how do we do this? Verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So the Apostle Paul wants us to reflect on how we use our time in light of what Jesus has already done for us. In light of the realities that we're facing in this world, in light of the mission to which we're called, and, and there's really two aspects of how he's calling us to view our time. Negatively, he's warning us that there's a danger. There's a danger of passivity. That if you never think about how you're spending your time, if you just float through life doing what everyone else does, you're in danger. Why? Because the days are evil. Because life itself is inclined towards evil. Like if you do nothing, if you just go through, go with the flow, life slips towards things that don't last. Towards giving your life to the wrong things. Towards wasting your, your life on screens. Towards relationships that don't glorify God. Towards investing every moment of your life in things that don't really matter. So following Jesus means that we must not be passive with how we view our time, but that we should be proactive. And, and this is captured in the phrase, make the most of every opportunity. Now, this is one of those rare times um, in translations when I actually prefer the, the King James Version over the more modern NIV here. It reads like this, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. It literally says redeeming the time. The Apostle Paul, negatively, we should not be passive and just let time happen to us, let our time slip away, but positively, we need to redeem the time. This is the language um, that the scriptures use to describe what God did in rescuing Israel out of Egypt. He rescued them. He pulled them out of harm's way. He redeemed them. It's the language of what Jesus did in, in leaving heaven, coming after us. He redeemed us from sin, from curse, from death. We need to redeem time in that way. We need to rescue it. We need to pull it out of harm's way the way a parent would pull a child out of a, the street or a parking lot when a moving car is passing by. That's the vision here. So what does this exactly mean, though? This is where we want to settle. What does this mean? Does it mean that I must schedule every possible moment of my life in the way that Peter Drucker suggests? Now, there's an important nuance in the ancient letter of that the Apostle Paul wrote that can easily be lost in translation and, and can easily change the way we read this in 21st century America. So it has to do with the Greek word for time. Some of you have been around GVF long enough to know that this is something that um, resonates deeply with me. I, I hope you see it too. So, so in Greek, there are two basic words for time. Uh, the first is chronos. Chronos. Um, it, it's what we normally think of when we think of time. It's the tick, tick, tick of the clock. It's what it's um, quantitative. It's the measure in seconds, minutes, hours, years. This is um, chronos is the inevitable passing of time, the unstoppable tick, tick, tick of the clock. It's one thing after the, uh, another. It's the stuff of schedules 
and due dates and meetings and billable hours. It's where we get our word chronology, like the order of things that things happen. It's also where we get the word chronic, the thing that will not go away and will eventually lead you to death. So the Greeks, they saw chronos um, as this great soul-destroying power. In fact, they personified this power in their god, aptly named Kronos. Um, he is said in the myths to have devoured all of his children because this is what the god of time will eventually do to you. It will eat all of us. It will devour us all. So that's the one word, Kronos. But the other Greek word for time is quite different. It's we usually say kairos. Um, my Greek friend helpfully corrected me that it's actually kiros. So kiros is not quantitative, but qualitative. It is not the measure of seconds and minutes, but it's measured in moments. So it's defining, um, it, it's a defining moment in life. It's a, uh, what we've called in the past, a God-ordained moment. It's the moment when the, like, the next words out of your mouth, the next thing you do or don't do, the next decision you make, the next step you take or don't take in your life, in your relationships, in your home, in your career, it's going to echo, it's going to shape your life, it is going to make a difference in eternity. So in that moment, a bad decision or no decision could be disastrous. Um, it's God showing up to Abraham and saying, sacrifice your son, your only son, but the son whom you love. It is um, Jesus out walking on the water and he looks at Peter and Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. It's Jesus looking at the rich young man and loving him and saying, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. So if you think back over the past couple years in particular, I'm willing to bet that you will um, quickly be able to pick out these Kiros moments. Like you don't easily forget them. There are a few conversations, a few interactions, a few events, a few moments that just imprint themselves on your life. They give your life meaning. They shape your life. They, they begin, form, or end relationships. They define you, these Kiros moments. And this, uh, the Greeks, they pictured Kronos as this soul-devouring god. But Kiros was this fleeting, winged god. Kronos and Kiros. You see, Peter Drucker... He's talking about Kronos. The Western world is obsessed with Kronos, but the Apostle Paul here, he's talking about something totally different. He's talking about Kiros. In God's kingdom, time itself seems to be valued and measured differently. Um, for us, one of the most offensive things you could do is waste someone's time, like show up late to a meeting or... Um, or, or this is why we so despise the cable guy and the DMV. They seem to have a systematic way of disregarding our time. This is why when, when you walk into the DMV and see the long line, it feels like Kronos is devouring your soul. It's an hour of your life that you will never get back. But God, God seems perfectly happy wasting vast quantities of time. So you, so you look through the, the history of scriptures and you see Abraham is 75 before he even begins 
God even begins working in his life. Joseph, he, he sits in prison for years. Moses, um, God lets him spend 40 years as a nomadic shepherd, just wandering around, taking care of some sheep. Jesus lives as an obscure son of a carpenter for 30 years before he ever goes public. The Apostle Paul spends years of his life in prison. It seems that God doesn't care much for Kronos, almost at all, but that he works in Kiros. Like he waits until the time ripens, until the fullness of time. And then he works, and then he moves, and then he saves. So take, for example, the Gospel of John. If you take the entire Gospel of John, this gives us a good sense of like how God views time. And you ask the Gospel of John, like, how much time does John spend on the first 30 years of Jesus' life? And the answer is, well, unless you um, consider in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, he spends none. Zero. But how much of the book does he spend on Jesus' like teaching ministry? And there's three years where his teachings and his ministries and all the stuff he did. And the answer is about half. About half of the gospel is, is focused on, on those three years. And then the question then comes in, well, what does he do with the other half? If he, if he doesn't spend any time on the first 30 years, half of the gospel is on three years, what's the other half? And the answer is one week. John devotes half of his gospel to one week of Jesus' life the week leading up to the crucifixion. Why? Because that's the Kiros moment. That's the moment that matters the most. That's the moment that changed everything. And this is how God seems to treat time. If you think about it, this kind of makes sense. We believe in a God who exists outside of space and time. There is no past, present, future with God. There's always now. And this is simply another way of saying there's no chronos with God. There's no ticking to the clock. There's no passing of time for him. In eternity, passing of time is meaningless. But how you live in those kiros moments, that means everything. So what does this mean for us? What does it look like? What does it feel like for us to redeem the time? It seems to have almost nothing to do with packing out our schedules or timing how long it takes to go to the bathroom or bemoaning wasted time. Rather, it seems to have something to do with meeting God in the present. In the pandemic. In the ice storm. And whatever today brings. That seems to have something more to do with surrendering your day rather than achieving or strategizing your day. With surrendering your day, surrendering your schedule, surrendering your plans to the Lord, walking in gratitude and dependence and worship in response to God's love that we cannot earn. It seems to have more to do with opening your eyes to what God is doing right now in your midst and enjoying God, others, his good creation today, no matter what comes. It seems to have more to do with being vigilant to the ways that God's Spirit might be prompting us to speak to a neighbor, to love someone else, to think outside ourselves, to see what he's doing in the world. The Apostle Paul describes redeeming the time in these words in the following verses. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the way. It's a way of surrender and worship and gratitude and recognizing God's goodness and submitting to one another. It seems to be the very opposite of overscheduling, overpacking your life. It seems to be very, very different than scheduling measuring how long it takes you to get to the bathroom and back and the end result seems to be different too just a totally different way of life a jesus way of life so here's the question i want to leave you with this cold winter's morning when we couldn't meet when our plans were ruined what would it look like for you to follow jesus and how you used your time what might it look like for you today this week to redeem the time because the days are evil. I love you, church, and Lord willing, I'll see you next week. We'll launch Daniel then. Blessings on you.